the back counter when you go out, there's the definitions of grace. And I've already been chastised for not having sermon notes today. So hopefully that'll pacify some people and it'll be good enough. Grace, the champion of people. But with every champion, there's always a challenger. There's something that comes along that wants to stifle it. And we mentioned those three enemies last week. The first enemy of grace was pride. I don't need grace. I don't need to depend on God because I'm pretty tough. And, and I can weather the storm. I can make it happen. I can meet the challenge. I am that man. I am that woman, that person that, that can do it. So a lot of times we miss grace because we're just so proudful. We have no desire to depend on the goodness and provision of God. So we just plow ahead in pride, missing the grace of God. We also said last week that another enemy of grace was entitlement. It's not that I'm, you know, I could do it myself. It's I deserve everything that I get because I'm cool. I'm awesome. I'm beautiful. Whatever it might be. So as you look at the reservoir of good things that have come in your life, you kind of have this feeling, well, I deserved it. You know, I should get this stuff. And there's no um, acknowledgement that the grace of God is bringing something to an undeserved person. Because the feeling is, well, you know, I'm entitled to this. God's that God, if he's up there, he's supposed to do good stuff because that's what God does. He's love. And the God that I want to have just gives me whatever I want whenever I want it. That's what he's supposed to do. And the third enemy of grace was self-pity. Somebody who feels, I'm not good enough. I don't have the right clothing to wear to church. We hear that a lot. People ask about coming to church. Well, what do I wear? I don't have anything that, that's church-worthy. I'm like, oh my goodness, none of us are church-worthy. And there's no such thing as a church-worthy wardrobe. You come as you are, as we sang today, to God, and he transforms hearts. He cares about what goes on inside. He wants to have his grace make a difference in our life. God is a greater savior than you could ever be a sinner. He is one who can match grace to sin and come out ahead every time. God brings new life. So as we talked about this in 1 Peter, it talks about the good stewards of God's varied grace. And this is where we made the transition. And I'm going to read my son's definition again of grace because it gives us that uh, springboard to move forward. Grace is an aspect of God, and because he is infinite, so are his aspects. A portion of infinity is still infinite. So his grace is unending, unknowable, and sufficient for everyone. Since it's infinite, it has endless forms, and that's where we're going to go from. Endless application and endless potential to meet any and all needs that we have. The grace of God, the one-stop shop for all the human heart and everything that we need. So as we look at this, the scripture, different translators use different words to convey the idea of this varied grace. Uh, we're going to use the idea of multicolored grace. We're going to talk about diamond grace. 1 Peter 4.10 in the NIV calls it grace in its various forms. Grace isn't just one kind of thing like, here's vanilla. This is like going to Higgins and looking at all the ice cream and then realizing there's more coming and there's different flavors, there's different kinds, that whatever my situation is, the grace of God matches it, meets it wherever it might happen to be. If you go to the New American Standard Version, it calls it the manifold 
grace of God. Manifold grace. The Amplified Bible will say many-sided grace of God. So you start to get the picture that as translators look at this word, that this grace of God is so big and awesome that, it, that you look at it from different angles. It has many sides, and the true definition of the Greek word is uh, poikolos, variegated or many-colored is what that word actually means. It is just full of variation, full of forms, full of ways to come and meet needs of people, lavished by a God who is madly in love with us. The idea of this variegated, it's used in different uh, places in the Greek. It's used to describe the skin of a leopard, the different colored veining of marble, or an embroidered robe with many colors, and thence it passes into the meaning of being changeful, diversified, applied to the changing months or the variations of the strains of music, the symphony, the something that is complete and total. And it's all those aspects that come together to paint a beautiful picture, to give us the fullness of who God is. He comes to, in, in his grace, he shows up, displaying himself in all all of his beauty, and all of his majesty. We're just going to look at one color today. And I want to apply that color to this week ahead. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving grace of God. The saving grace of God, especially as we think about WOW Camp. And the gospel going out to so many ears at one time. But you're going to go to work tomorrow if you're not at WOW Camp, or you're going to be somewhere where you're going to meet people. Opportunities for the grace of God to be shared through the gospel. So no matter what situation we're in, the saving grace of God is one of the beautiful facets of the diamond, one of the beautiful colors of the picture that God paints for us in the person of Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that's where we're going to stop with that today. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And I want us to slow our minds down a little bit and use our imaginations in a moment to think about what all those, just those few words actually mean. What kind of grandeur and splendor are wrapped up in those words? And, and those words how do they apply to me? What do they mean when the grace of God has appeared and it's bringing salvation to all people? How significant is that? How powerful is that? And what does it mean for me to be included in the sharing of that message? The word for connects it to everything that's gone before. Some people think, well, God's forgiven me. I can just go live any way I want. And the for means, if you read all the verses before this, there's a lot of ethical behaviors. There's a lot of righteous living described. So the motivation for living righteously comes from that little word for, for the grace of God. You do all the good stuff, you follow him because of his grace. For the grace of God has appeared. That has the impact. It's the appearing of the grace of God. I'm going to fill that in in a moment. Is the impact that grace has. The second word is the idea of bringing salvation. That is the scope. This is a big grace. This is a one-size-fits-all grace to meet needs of people wherever they, be, wherever they might happen to be. It's the grand 
entry. The word appearing, the grace of God has appeared. This is the word that we get epiphany from. This is the verb form. When someone has a great idea, what do they say? I have an epiphany. Something has appeared that is wonderful, and I'm going to share it with you. Now, everyone believes what you just had was an epiphany, but, when, but you say that. That's the word that we use when something seems to be wonderful. It has to do with the entrance of something, the appearing in a grand kind of way. Now, different individuals in my family have entry music. Anybody have entry music? Like, like, for instance, Alice, when she leaves the car, I'm supposed to hum the Star Wars party music. Could you just imagine? It kind of goes, doot, 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 doot. Okay, that's enough. Now, now, Sammy, when she leaves the car, it's hail to the chief. Okay, don't ask me why, you know. But, but there's this idea of an appearance. The grander the appearance, the more awesome the surroundings are supposed to be. The more impact there is going to be. So in Luke chapter 1 is one of the other two places in scripture where this verb form of epiphany shows up. And it's this here. It's the coming of John the Baptist. And it says, you and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That word, to give light, same word. The appearing, the, the beautiful appearing to give light of God. The sunrise of God in the hearts of people to change them. That is the appearing of the grace of God. And this verse in the day, if you were hearing this, this would be huge. Because you had just come through 400 years of silence. Where there was no prophet of God. There was no clear voice of God that was going out. So people were just desiring to hear from the Lord. And all of a sudden, the announcement of John the Baptist, a prophet of God, it's not going to be quiet anymore. You all know of people who, as soon as they enter the room, the room changes. It lights up. It's all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, it's not going to be quiet anymore because a certain individual has shown up. That's the picture of the grace of God. When the grace of God enters in, it's not going to be quiet anymore. It's not going to be boring anymore. Because God, the sunrise of his heart, has arrived. It has appeared. So when we're involved in sharing grace, involved in the gospel, sharing it with people, we are the light. We are bringing light into darkness. It was prayed this morning that many of the people in our town live in deep darkness. But that's true for people all over the place. The grace of God has appeared. It's come in power. It has come in wonder. It's not quiet anymore. It comes from Malachi 4.2 where it says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Not really poetic. Does that mean much to most of you? How many of you have gone out this morning leaping like a calf from the stall? 
okay, a couple, I can, I can picture that. The idea here is a, a calf that has been locked up its whole life, and it's been fed in this little tiny cage. Then grace appears with healing in its wings, and the gate gets thrown open, and for the first time, that calf who's always been in captivity now is free. That's the grace of God. That's what we pray about that we see happen at Wow Camp. That's what we pray about that we see happen when we share with our neighbors or with people at work. That, that, that they've been in a cage, even if they don't know it. There's a cage, there's bondage, until the grace of God says, time to be free. Time to run. Have you ever seen kids in elementary school on the last day of school when the bell goes off? And they take off running. And it's like, ah! And it's a crazy time. This is the picture of grace. The grace of God appears. And when it appears, it does something wonderful. And all of us go running for joy. So, oh my goodness. This is the grace of God. You see, my goal in sharing this is that each of us would see the significance and splendor of every gospel opportunity because that's where grace comes through. We see every contact we have, every opportunity to share with somebody about God as a, a thing of splendor, of an appearing that could open the gate and let the calves out and let them experience joy and wonder. But also that we would, we would understand the awesome responsibility of bearing grace, of being a messenger of grace. What that means with the message, like what, what's the messenger supposed to be like? I, I better have my act together. I better be clean before the Lord because I don't want to obscure the message. I don't want something in my life to take away from that color of the gospel, from the beauty that we see there. I want us to all think much of the grace of God. You see, when you wield grace as a weapon, as a message, you do the most that can be done for anyone. Sometimes we say, and we think of it in the context of prayer, I wish I could do more. All I can do is pray. What's that sound like? You see, that's the most that you can do for somebody. It should never be a timid type thing. Oh, I just can't, pray. I can't be out there doing it. Oh my goodness. When you wield the grace of God, when you wield prayer, you are doing more for an individual than any other thing that you could think of at any time, any place, anywhere. And I want to give you five things as we prepare, prepare for communion that have to do with wielding grace, carrying that message of grace and gospel to somebody else. First one is, nothing is more majestic in beauty than sharing the grace of God. Now I want to ask you this question, this is where your imaginations have to start going. What is the most beautiful and majestic sight you have ever beheld? Husbands, this is your cue. Look at your wife. It's safe. This is the time to do it. If you miss this opportunity, I know a lot of you, you could use the points. It would be good. But in general, let your imagination go. What is the most majestic and beautiful sight that you have ever beheld? Sharing the grace of God eclipses it. It's a bigger deal. It's a greater beauty. It is the sunrise of God in the hearts of people. Nothing could be more majestic in its beauty.
Nothing could be more noble in its purpose. When I think of a noble purpose, I think of a noble cause. Now, some of you know I watch movies now and then, and I like movies a lot, and I know some of you do. Now, often in life, I can't hear something without connecting it to a movie. It just comes up in my brain. So if I were to say to you that have the same problem I do, it's a noble cause. What movie might come into your brain? Anybody? Take a stab. What's that? Oh, look, how about that? He's a prophet. Now, some of you, this means nothing. To many of you, this means a whole lot because your mind's already able to go through the dialogue. But let me just set it up for you in case you've never heard of television or anything like that and what this movie entails. In this particular scene, uh, um, Fezzik and Indigo bring Wesley in. Now, Wesley appears to be dead, okay? They're looking for a what? A miracle. I feel good now. They're looking for a miracle. Their hope is kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is worth it, but we're going to bring him in. So they bring him to Miracle Max right there. And Miracle Max is poised to deal with the situation. And they come in a little hopeless, and Miracle Max says this, ho, 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 look at who knows so much. Hey, well, it just so happens that your friend here is only... Oh, you guys have a wasted life, I'm telling you. I can relate to you. There's a big difference between mostly dead and... Please open his mouth. And they put the billows in it, you know, and they start pumping the air into him. You guys know this whole scene. And they pump it in, and they say, now mostly dead is still... All right. Now, that would be my son, okay? I'm just telling you. The guy is doomed. He doesn't have any hope. Anyway, he's still slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's only one thing that you can do. Indigo says, what's that? Miracle Max. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. He removes the bellows from his mouth, and he says, hey, hello in there. Hey, what's so important? What you got here that's so worth living for? And he pushes on his stomach, and the words come out, true love. And Miracle Max wigs out because he can't handle the noble cause because he's lost confidence. You see, something comes out of Wesley's mouth. It's true love. There is more, no more noble cause. There isn't something higher or greater or purpose that I can cling to or pursue in my life. The reality of sharing the gospel is the world is not mostly dead. It is all dead. It was born that way. And if it's not for the gospel message coming in the grace of God, it will never come alive. You see, there's only one thing to do with all dead. That's share grace. To be ready to give the gospel out. Nothing is more noble in purpose. Nothing is more powerful in its healing power. If you were to wake up tomorrow morning and I told you, got a secret, got something for you, and I give you the cure for cancer, or Alzheimer's, or any other disease, or if I give you the cure for all of your concerns about climate, 
or I give you the cure or solution for clean, affordable, renewable energy. And you're going to be the ambassador to tell everybody. And it's your job to break it to the world with the cure that could end all human trafficking or the cure to heal all of world hunger or stop abortion. And you could let that list go on. And I gave it to you and said, tomorrow morning, your job is to go out and just proclaim that message because it's true and it will work. I doubt any of you would sleep much. I doubt you would wake up and like, uh-uh, nothing's just going to be a regular day. Oh my goodness, the healing power of the gospel. Every day we wake up, the opportunity is there to bring life to the dead, to bring a complete healing. Not only is there nothing more powerful in healing, there is nothing more sufficient in its scope. Have you ever heard from the mechanic, well, I fixed most everything, but there's still a sound. Or if you've ever had a contractor come to your house, do you still have work to do when he leaves? Yes, sometimes additional work. You see, often in life, uh, what we get isn't sufficient. It's not comprehensive. You buy something, it's missing a part. You see, we, we look for something that, that is, is in its scope, completely sufficient, but in this life, apart from God, we never find it. The gospel is sufficient in its scope. There isn't anybody who is too sinful. There's nobody who has done too many things where God says, you know what, <laughs> you're not part of the team. I'm not inviting you. Look at your life. No way. God says, bring them all. Bring everybody. Jesus, it was said of him, if he would be lifted up on the cross, he will draw all men to him. That's a scope beyond anything in this world. Often, you hear these great offers, and, and when you start inquiring about it, you're disqualified. Because of this, because of that, you make too much, you don't make enough. You, know, you have all these reasons that you miss out. When it comes to the gospel, there is no person left behind. And lastly, nothing is more lasting in its duration. Anybody have anything in the refrigerator that might be a little out of date? Anybody ever have that time where you're like, what is that smell? And you have to start digging because what's in there didn't last forever. It has an expiration date. It has a shelf life. Have you lived long enough to remodel your own remodel? Tear out that thing that you thought you would do and like, I'm never going to have to do that again. That's why I like putting 30-year roofs on because I like, 30 years? I calculate my age. <gasps> it's going to be my kid's problem. Yay! This is good. You know, there's a shelf life. There's a duration. When it comes to the gospel, there is no expiration date. There is nothing in it that will ever disappoint throughout all eternity. God is the God of eternity. He brings grace into us, for us, so that we can share it. And this is us, ambassadors. As you wake up tomorrow and you're going to do WOW camp, don't wake up. Oh, these kids, they're going to be a pain. I just know it. It's going to be hot. It's going to be this. And you know, I have a feeling with this many people working together, some of you might irritate each other. <laughs> Believe it or not. 
don't let that become a barrier. You are an ambassador of the grace of God before you're anything else. That lets you put up with a lot. And you're saying, oh my goodness, let's get together, let's be unified, let's go for this, because we are bringing this to dead people. People who have no hope in this world except for the message that you know of the grace of God. And that's just not a wow camp pep talk. That's a life talk. That's every one of us, every place we go, with every conversation we have and every dialogue has the potential to change a heart and life because of God's grace for all of eternity. So what's the messenger supposed to look like? Communion table. Let a man so examine himself. Clean hands, a pure heart, a humble walk that puts others before yourself. I liken it to the Olympic torchbearer. You ever see those people? Would you like to be one of them? They just go out in front and light the way. And there's so much majesty in the ceremony. And it's like just a little tiny picture of being an ambassador of grace. That you are the torchbearer. You are the epiphany. You are the one bringing light to a darkness. You are bringing a gate opening to the calf that's never been free. You can change. Not because you have any power, but you wield the grace of God. That is a beauty. That is a responsibility for the messenger to be clean. Because woe be it to the person whose personal life gets in the way of that picture. It's better for a millstone to be put on them, hung on them, thrown into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. That's the importance of the messenger to be clean before God. If you've got something in your heart, something you're struggling with, something that's grabbed you, and it's sinful and it's wrong, get rid of it. Ambassadors don't live that way. They have a higher calling. They have a noble purpose. They have something of beauty that's more important than any sin that could ever hold them back. As we go into communion now, prepare your heart. Examine yourself as an ambassador of the grace of God. Father, I thank you for life. I thank you for grace. I thank you that there is nothing more that we could do for a person.